Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. Hello, everyone. Say hello to those who are watching online. If you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter... You know what? I'll give you a choice. You can turn to John chapter 14, 15, or 16. We're going to be in all three chapters today, so you can choose where you want to start. It's not going to be a long journey to get to any of them, no matter which one you choose. When I am doing spiritual fitness or spiritual formation training in a small group, setting one of the exercises I sometimes like to use is visio divina which means sacred seeing it's a form of contemplative prayer where we ask for the Lord to speak to us as we are gazing upon an image I use a variety of paintings and icons for this exercise and one of my favorite icons is by the Russian artist Rublev It's sometimes called the hospitality of Abraham. Sometimes it's called the Trinity. And as these names indicate, this icon is a depiction of the three angels that Abraham entertains in Genesis chapter 18, as well as the interdependent relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This icon expresses what theologians call, big word alert, perichoresis. Let me hear you say perichoresis. We demonstrate our unity by mispronouncing it together. Perichoresis means circle dance. And if this word, perichoresis, is new to you, or the concept of a circle dance, a divine circle dance is new to you, don't worry, you're not alone. Growing up, I heard far more sermons on the evils of dancing than I ever heard about the divine dance of perichoresis, in which the Father, Son, and Spirit are moving and working together in an intimate relationship of mutual love harmony, peace, and oneness. And much of the source material for this idea of perichoresis comes from Jesus' farewell discourse in the Gospel of John, where Jesus, the Son, is describing his relationship with the Father and the Spirit. He says in chapter 14, verse 10, Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Jesus says, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. I'm working, the Father's working. We're working in and with one another. And then in chapter 17, verse 1, at the beginning of the prayer following his discourse, Jesus says this, praying to his Father, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your son may glorify you. 
Jesus is in the Father, the Father is in the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father, and the Father glorifies the Son. The Father sends the Son on a mission to make known what God is like. And when the Son accomplishes his mission through his life, death, resurrection, ascension, then the Father and the Son send the Spirit into the world. And what does the Spirit do? Well, in 16, 14, Jesus says, the Spirit will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So the Spirit glorifies the Son as the Son glorifies the Father. And the Father is glorifying the Son and by extension, the Spirit. Are you dizzy yet? This is the circle dance, perichoresis, of God's love, where the Father, Son, and Spirit are glorifying one another by manifesting and displaying God's abundant, overflowing, self-giving, other-oriented love. This is perichoresis, the circle dance, the eternal dance of God's love. In John 15, Jesus uses agriculture, actually viticulture, instead of choreography to convey much the same image as perichoresis. He says in chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, Jesus is speaking, I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful remain or abide, I like the translation abide, abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must, it must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not abide in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You don't have to own a vineyard in order to understand this allegory. Jesus is the vine. He describes himself as the true vine. His disciples are the branches. His father is the gardener who lovingly cares for the vine by carefully pruning the branches to multiply the production of fruit. And in this allegory, there is a command. There is an imperative from Jesus, something that we as his disciples absolutely must do. He commands, abide in me as I abide in you. You must abide. Abide is one of John's favorite words. It shows up throughout his gospel. Back in chapter one, we read the story months ago where two would-be disciples are walking behind Jesus, and he turns around and he asks them, what do you want or what are you looking for? And they ask him, where do you abide? 
And Jesus says, come and see. And so they come and they see and they follow Jesus. And by the end of the gospel, what they see is that Jesus abides in his father. He is in his father and the father is in him. And then in chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going away. And while I'm away, I'm going to prepare a place, a dwelling place, an abiding place where you can abide in my father's house. But then in chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus says this to his disciples. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and my father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home, our abiding place with them. Jesus is preparing a place for us to abide. Yes. He's also preparing us as the place where he and his father, and by extension, the spirit, can abide. And the result of all this abiding is we produce abundant fruit that glorifies the father and proves our connection to Jesus as his disciples. We are known and judged by our fruit. That's what indicates we are disciples of Christ. You judge a tree, you judge a vine by its fruit. And yet, Jesus never commands us to produce fruit. He never puts us on a production quota saying, this is how much fruit you must produce every day, every week, every season. We don't make ourselves produce fruit. Jesus says, I'm the vine who produces the fruit. I'm the vine rooted in the life and love and power of God that produces the fruit. He also doesn't command us to go around cutting off or pruning the branches on the vine. We are not the gardener. We are the branches, and we have one job. Jesus says we must abide. That's our task. That's our focus. That's our job. We must abide. Now, if this notion of abiding, we abide in Christ, Christ abides in us, if it all seems a bit abstract right now, don't worry. Jesus goes on to make it more concrete in chapter 15, verse 9, by showing us what mutual abiding looks like. It says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in my Father's love. And my command is this, Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for my friends. For friends, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you my friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have now made known to you. I'm passing on everything from the Father to you. The Father's love goes to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. 
love each other. How do we abide in Christ? We abide in Christ by abiding in his love, which is an extension of the Father's love in which Christ abides. We abide in Christ's love, not by taking it easy dude style, but by obeying his commands, which he reduces in this teaching to one. First, he says, obey my commandments. But then he said, here's my command. This is it. This is the one. One command. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the command. Obey this. Love each other as I've loved you. Elsewhere, he calls this a new commandment. Now, the command to love others, to love your neighbor, is not a new commandment. But the standards or motivation behind it is. The new standard or motivation for loving one another is not love others as you love yourself, but love others as Christ has loved you. And Christ demonstrates his love for us in this. He lays down his life for his friends. And these concepts, abide, obey, love, fruit, they all interlock and support and dance with each other. In much of the same way, the Father, Son, and Spirit interlock and support and dance with one another. To abide in Christ is to abide in Christ's love, which we abide in as Christ loves us. And we learn how to abide in Christ's love by watching Christ, who shows us how to love one another by laying down our lives for one another, because that's what Christ does for us. And when we love one another as Christ loves us, we bear fruit that glorifies God and proves that we truly are his disciples. Now, if this all seems a bit circular and repetitive, congratulations for paying attention. It's to be a God-glorifying, fruit-producing disciple of Christ is to love one another as Christ has loved us. Loving one another as Christ loves us is Christianity 101. It's also Christianity 201 and 301 and 401. We never graduate from loving one another in the way of Christ to a more advanced subject. This is the beginning point, and this is also the ending point. It's the circle, the circle dance of God's eternal love. Reminds me of a story told about Juan Carlos Ortiz, who was a well-known pastor in Buenos Aires, Argentina, years ago. And one Sunday, Ortiz was getting ready to preach to his church, and it was a sermon on love. And he thought to himself, how many sermons on love have I preached to this church? And how many sermons on love have these Christians heard? Yet, do we really love one another? Not just in word, but in deed. So when it came time to preach, 
where Jesus stood up and he said to his church, love one another. And he sat down. And the congregation sat there in awkward silence for five minutes. And then he stood up again and said to the congregation, love one another and sat down again. And then he stood and said it again and then sat down. And after the third time, an elder stood up. Because you can only do that so long before an elder stands up. An elder stood up and said, you know, I think I understand what the pastor is saying to us. I think he wants us to love one another. But how can I love you if I don't know you? And then the elder began initiating conversation with the people around him, asking about not only their names, but their needs that he could help meet. And other people followed his example, and soon the entire sanctuary was filled with small circles of people transforming the pastor's awkward sermon into a powerful demonstration of love. A couple of weeks ago, I said one of the big ideas of the farewell discourse is that we can be assured that we can experience the presence of Christ, even though he's physically absent from us, through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit that is within and alongside us. A second big idea of the farewell discourse is that we can continue to experience the presence of a physically absent Christ by loving one another as Christ has loved us. We are not walking this path alone. We have the Holy Spirit, but we also have each other. One of the curiosities of the Trinity icon is there's a small square in the bottom center of the table. And some art historians speculate that this might be residue from glue used to attach a mirror to the icon so that whoever looks at the icon sees in the mirror a fourth participant at the table, a fourth participant in the divine dance. Now, even if that's not true, and part of me thinks that sounds too good to be true, even if it's not true, the idea of an attached mirror inviting us to sit at God's table, inviting us to join the dance, captures so well both Jesus' invitation to come and see where he abides and his command to abide in him by loving one another. So may we respond to the invitation and may we obey the command. May we join and may we enjoy together the never-ending dance of God's love. Please stand for the benediction. And the benediction comes from something Jesus says at the very beginning of his discourse at the end of chapter 13. Let's read this out loud together. A new command I give you, 
love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Go in peace and love one another. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.